going on everybody for cryptocurrent i'm stephen miller and you are watching the aftershock the show where we keep you connected to all things web3 and as always on our wednesday aftershock shows i'm joined by my co-host richard carthon richard how are you and how was your vacation doing good feeling refreshed uh happy to be back uh at the beginning when i first left uh, the market kind of took a little nosedive but as I came back, the, the the market started to recover. So you know, we we see a, a Bitcoin back above twenty two thousand. We got Ethereum splurging uh, splurging back up as we get closer to the the merge. So feeling optimistic. Hope this uh, bullish momentum continues. But otherwise, how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, man. Um, I think that we've got exciting stuff coming in the world of crypto across the next forty eight hours. Um, the merge is in fact set to finally take place after all these years. Um, so we're going to be looking forward to seeing how that plays out in the market across the next 48. But to you at home who are joining us today on the show, please know that we put this out both on YouTube where you can watch our video and watch the full playback and over on your favorite podcast platforms. So make sure that you're following over on your favorite podcast platforms and subscribe on YouTube. We really appreciate the ongoing support. We're glad that you're here today because we want to make sure that we're keeping you informed and apprised to all things that are going on in the world of Web3. So. Without much further ado, Richard, why don't we dive right into this week's Aftershock. The Aftershock. On this week's Web3 Lightning Round, we're going to, of course, start out with a little bit more talk about the merge. So as I said at the top of the show, Rich, we are on the verge of the merge. And following that, you have a number of different rhyming words like the surge. Um, So there's a whole cycle associated with it. But the big thing that we need to be mindful of right now in the market is what does it look like to actually step over on proof of stake? And the big thing right up off the top is adoption, right? How many of the node operators across Ethereum are actually merge ready and are running the proper software, um, you know, up to date firmware for the merge to actually take place? And the answer right now is that we are well over 75%. There was a initial upgrade last week called the Bellatrix hard fork. And when that took place, we had achieved just under 75%. So as time has gone on, our stats are continuing to improve. And it just means that more and more node operators are going to come online and be fully in support of the network. So pretty interesting stuff there. Is there anything more that you are on the watch for as it relates to the merge? A lot of people are concerned that they think like, oh, I need to do something like to my money or I need to do something to make sure that my wallet is secure. Like you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Uh, Everything's going to kind of seamlessly happen in the background. And the other thing to debunk about the ETH merge is gas fees. So People thought like, oh, gas fees should be lower. Now there should be more transactions per second. That's a myth. It's been debunked um, by both Vitalik and the foundation. So uh, even though gas fees won't necessarily be less um, because there's more transactions per second, hopefully the, the lower price that everyone's been enjoying can continue to, to go on and hopefully eventually be a little bit lower as well. But um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see um, us being this close and that, you know, this should happen without a hitch. Look, the best that we can do right now is keep our fingers crossed. Um, we've been 
promised and promised and promised about the merge for as long as I can remember. And I'm very excited that it's finally taking place. But yeah, there's a lot of promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And I hope that we start to see it in the next 48. But let's jump into our next story. This one, um, let's just say it sucks. So the SEC and our good friend Gary Gensler, the commissioner over there, has officially announced plans for a new Office of Crypto Assets to identify what they're calling soft targets. Now, Rich, the reason that they've done this is because they're really trying to key in on more and more crypto projects that are specifically violating um, securities laws. So they have dedicated an entire division towards lining up cases that are just straightaway slam dunks for the SEC. How do you interpret this and like, where do we go from here? It's an inevitability. Uh, as more and more people get hired for the IRS and as more things are being expanded for the government, Uncle Sam's always going to try to get his money. And it, this was an inev- inevitability, in my opinion. And it, it, it makes sense that they're trying to go after softer targets and, and things that they're pretty sure that they can land and win, um, especially after they tried to sue uh, Ripple and it's looking like they're not going to win. So... Uh, I think that, uh, again, this was in the cards and they're already starting to lay the foundation for people to not hopefully be doing dumb things in Web3. So I've got to go ahead and um, take this opportunity to play a drop that we don't normally get to see on this show. The nation of Norway has announced that their national digital currency will be based on Ethereum. Pretty interesting stuff there. Um, just a quick first hot take on that, Richard. What do you think? With the, the merge coming in, I mean, I think you're going to start seeing more and more companies and nations potentially trying to build on Ethereum. Ethereum's biggest challenge has always been scalability. And as long as this merge happens, that scalability issue should start to go out the window. So they were basically the first one saying like, hey, we were here first and we believe in this, which is, it's a, it's a really huge statement. How do you look at it? I think that we're starting to see a central bank run their first run digital currency out as a true CBDC on the Ethereum blockchain is a big vote of confidence. Getting the chance to see that implemented as an ERC-20 token is really, really fascinating to me. Um, But I want to honestly not even caution people to buy this. I want people to understand the, the gravity of one of what people consider the most progressive nations in the world, both on a technological, a environmental, and even in like societal drive perspective. Um, that they're trying to now deploy a CBDC on Ethereum, and that's the way that they have chosen to go about things. That's a power play, dude. Like, that's a really big deal. So I'm pretty stoked to hear about that. I think that it's going to be a very big play going forward. I want to see more info on it, and I certainly encourage those at home to look more into it. Um, but I think that you had wrapped up that last piece on the SEC perfectly. So let's go ahead and charge into this next bit. This next piece comes courtesy of Meisten Labs. Now, 
for the listeners at home, Meisten Labs was actually at one point part of Facebook and Meta. They were the team that was trying to deliver against the Novi wallet and the Libra cryptocurrency, um, which I believe then turned into DM and then it turned into nothing at all. Um, That team decided to leave Meta. They formed Meisten Labs and are now working on a brand new cryptocurrency and a blockchain to run the entire um, ecosystem with. It's called SUI, S-U-I. Well, they've officially reached a $2 billion valuation following a $300 million raise during a bear market to develop that SUI uh, cryptocurrency throughout the Asian Pacific region and building infrastructure out globally. I think the biggest piece of the story here, Rich, is that they're achieving this type of raise in the middle of a bear market. Do you find that to be the big focus or is there something else that we need to be looking at here? Oh, it's a huge focus. They've they've become a unicorn in a short amount of time and became a unicorn during this bear market. I, it's impressive and it just goes to show the confidence that these investors have in this company being able to not just survive during these bearish times, but to thrive as we head out of it um, eventually. So it, it's huge news. I mean, raising this much money at, in, at any point is a big deal. Raising it right now, man, that's special. Their first round, I believe, was led by A16Z, which is the crypto arm for um, Andreessen Horowitz. But this current round where they officially locked in the $2 billion valuation was led by Binance Ventures and Coinbase Ventures. I believe FTX might have played a small role in this one as well. But it is very interesting to me that you are seeing yet again a case during a bear market where it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, they clearly had high, high level connections at these big VC arms. And that gives you a lot more power to play. Um, they don't question a lot of stuff if you've got a track record of success. So it's really interesting to me to see that. I'm excited to see what Meisten is working on. Um, but you better believe as soon as the SUI or SUI token or coin becomes available, that they're probably going to end up being a power player. So here in the bear market, be planning, be looking and seeing more and more how you can get your hands on those assets while the market's down. Because from what I hear, they're planning on things like digital objects, a different form of NFTs and digital collectibles, um, along with a, no- a number of other really big time innovations. So we're going to keep our eye on it here. We'll keep you updated on things as it relates to Mystin, but we certainly encourage you at home to keep an eye on it as well. Let's jump into our, thir- our fourth story here. This is an interesting one for you and me, Rich, because we come out of the startup landscape. So Y Combinator, for those that don't know, is an accelerator and an incubator for startups. And in their last cohort, they had 27 companies that were crypto-based or crypto-related in their last cohort for who they were trying to help develop into a bigger business. They just recently announced their next cohort of businesses that they're supporting, and they're doubling down on Web3 yet again after accepting 30 companies in this new cohort. In this new cohort. How do you read this story? I'm really curious. Do you think that we're going to start seeing this more so across the board when it comes to incubators in terms of the types of companies they're interested in? Yeah, I think not only we're going to see this across more and more um, 
incubators and want to do a quick shout out to an incubator that I went through in New Orleans called Idea Village. I actually just recently did a uh, Web3 like 48 hour challenge that uh, was was pretty cool. And um, but going back to Y Combinator, what was awesome and to see about this is all of these huge companies, these Web 2.0 companies that have gone on to do amazing things. A lot of them went through Y Combinator. It was almost like the stamp of approval that, hey, this is a good company to invest in. So that the fact that they are spending this much time and energy towards getting more companies in this space, they see where the future is headed and they want to be able to claim that, hey, we were able to find a lot of these earlier companies as well. So um, I think that even just looking at who all got into the cohort and the companies that are going through, seeing what type of uh, things that they're building is going to be important as well to see what types of interest uh, there is in the traditional uh, world of, of VC money now entering into this Web3 space. Yeah, one of the things that I'm really interested in out of this piece of news is I want to go in and learn more about how does each of the Web3 verticals actually break down within the cohort. I want to know how many of these companies are metaverse focused, how many of them are NFT focused, how many are concerned about you know crypto insurance or DeFi. Um, those things are really interesting to me out of this, especially because right off the cuff, I don't know how many companies are in the cohort total, right? But to me, 30 companies in one of the most prominent accelerators in the world that have a Web3 focus, that's like, that's a really big deal. The other really big um, incubators out there, you know, like Halcyon and 500 startups, they're probably also encouraging more and more crypto companies to come on board. So it's an exciting time for sure to be, you know, in the crypto space, despite it being a, a uh, bear market. So we're going to keep an eye on that one as well and keep you posted. But here comes our last story. <laughs> Richard, we've talked about soulbound tokens on this show before. We've talked about it in the um, context of Ethereum and dropping new locked-in NFTs and soulbound tokens to wallets that just can't move. Um, but Binance, of all companies, are now planning on using soulbound tokens for what some may call evil. Binance is planning to use soulbound tokens to KYC customers and use it as proof of identity. Is this really like the beginning of the empire um, as it relates to Star Wars or is there something more to this story that like could be good? Yeah, I mean, as far as privacy and people trying to do all that, I mean, it's always going to be a little bit tough for you KYC, but like to now throw this next element of a soulbound token that now follows your address. Yeah, this is this is next level. So it's as much as the world of crypto wants to be decentralized to its core and allow for people to have that sense of freedom and even some anonymity uh, as you continue to deal with more centralized exchanges and they have to deal with regulators and everything else. They're trying to do everything possible to CYA. And by now adding a soulbound token to you, not only do they have all your information, now they also can track for sure any of your addresses that like come through by having that soulbound token in there. So yeah, if you're um, if you're not trying to, to both in the physical but also the digital world be tracked on everything, this is uh, not great news for you. 
yeah, this is what I like to call some Black Mirror type shit. Um, it's uh, it's not good, at least in my opinion. And as much as I like to give you shit on the back end of things here, you know, with how every time that you try to say anonymity, it's I'm replaying in my head that scene from Finding Nemo where they're trying to say anonymity. Like that's one that's day. it's it's one of the most difficult words for you, but I applaud you every time you try. <laughs> well, look, let's jump into the metaverse, shall we? I think that's probably where the more exciting stuff is, as opposed to me ripping you on, um, you know, the way that you pronounce words. Let's talk ENS. Amazingly, by the way. Yeah. Right. So ENS, we've been talking about it across the last couple of weeks. I honestly think that again, the opportunity with ENS is huge, and we need to continue to call attention to it because they're honestly taking up a lot of the airtime for other articles through a lot of the press. Um, but just across the last week, they were the primary reason that we were seeing really big trading volume return to the NFT market. Um, it's fascinating, honest to God, to see this happening all at once um, because you also saw registration volume go up. So more people are registering ENS domains. And this was all while Microsoft was coming out of the woodwork and calling blockchain domains an emerging threat. But my my ask to you is like, who is the threat to? Themselves? Question mark? I, man, like, so GoDaddy is one of the largest ways in the Web 2.0 space to get any type of website. Um, but there's other competitors that are out there. ENS doesn't slowly have claim, does not solely have claim to like all these different types of Ethereum-based name services. So like if and when, I think, I don't know how they're going to win this one, but like when this case is ultimately settled, I don't know that they go all the way through with it. I think there's going to be a settlement. Uh, if if indeed ENS wins, but if they if they don't win, man, you want to talk about floodgates? There's going to be so many big players that come in and start just snatching up everything. So let's let's go ahead and break this down one piece at a time. One on the question that I was asking you about, like how Microsoft is calling blockchain domains an emerging threat. To me, the answer is really simple. The threat is not necessarily something to the rest of society. It has to do with all the companies that are existing in Web2 that currently manage domains like GoDaddy. But in the, over the course of last week when these statements were being made, ENS filed suit against GoDaddy for auctioning off ETH.link, which was a site that was owned and had been utilized, like there were plenty of subdomains that had been using the ETH.link mechanism um, to deploy websites on ENS. But they were um, going after GoDaddy for auctioning this off wrongly, um, basically before there was actual expiration to the domain itself. They just, GoDaddy had decided like, nope, we're just going to get rid of it and kind of try and rug pull ENS right here now. There's a lot of reasons why ENS may very well win this case. Um, but there's a lot of really interesting FUD behind the scenes, just like we see during the regular markets when there's a bullish uh, momentum, right? People want to bring the price back down so they can get in. So I'm not saying that both of these stories are exclusively FUD. I'm just saying don't read too much into the first one. And we need to see how the second one really plays out. 
That's kind of the way that I read it. So let's go ahead and move forward into a sports-related story. Uh, We've talked about Artifact on this show before. Artifact got acquired by Nike in the past, but Artifact is also the parent to the Clone X NFT project. And within Clone X, there were all these incredible trades and incredible um, pieces that were created by Takashi Murakami, another fantastic artist out in the world who's very well known at this point. Um, But people were asking questions all the way along the deployment of this project of like, you know, how much overreach and decision will Nike have? We're now starting to see how much power Nike has because they've gone back into the code base and updated the metadata on Clone X um, on their contract to create a one-of-one LeBron James NFT in the collection that is straight up owned by LeBron James. Like he bought the NFT and then requested changes be made. So because again, he is sponsored by Nike, he had the ability to go to them, make changes, apply a crown to the character, do all this stuff. And there are people on both sides that are just like, very, very adamant and taking, um, you know, positions on it. On the one hand, it's really, really cool that we have the ability to see this and see players locking down avatars for the future. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, we generated this, this collection and now you want to change it. Like at what point, like, do you say like, okay, this is concrete. I want my asset to stay the way it is slash at what point do you no longer have a say because of the license agreement? It's really curious. Um, do you have any opinion on this right now? Ultimately, it goes down to how the contract's written. I think that you can't go back and change things. I think it's really on the project and whoever's putting it out there on the rules of engagement and having that be what moves forward. I don't know that it's necessarily... F- there to be able to go back and change. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Like if if they've had it from the jump, like, hey, if you buy this and now you want to uh, DYR or you know, do it yourself and switch it up and fix it up and have it be your, you know, exactly what you want. And it was agreed upon at the beginning before they launched all this stuff. That's how it was going to be. Great. But if it was one of those where they're like, well, we can do this. Doesn't mean we should do this, but we can. So therefore we will. That doesn't feel this great. Yeah, it's a little bit messy. But again, I think that over time, we're going to start to get more clarity on like what the constraints of this is. So let's talk about Cool Cats now. Cool Cats is a project that I think we've had a lot of questions about across the last couple of months. Um, you know, a lot of people were curious about the leadership and the direction of the actual project. Certain things weren't being delivered against. But they've just come out and said that they're officially making big strides forward working on a video game. And their team is going to be deploying a comic book. So now that we have deliverables, do you think we're going to be seeing real production out of Cool Cats? Are we going to see some of these older projects start to be realized? How, do, how much faith do you have in them to, to deliver against this? To deliver? I think they'll deliver. It just might take longer than what people want. Cool Cats is just like, I think this like sleeping giant in the sense that they start off really hot and they cooled off tremendously because they kept missing deadlines. But they keep showing up. Like it, 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 they just keep finding new ways to stay relevant. And I think that's why, in the long run, 
they have a chance to win and, and to win big. But the problem's going to be the execution for me. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it in a timely manner that's going to keep the hype and excitement of announcements like this for the community to want to stay log- locked in. Well, I think that it's going to be a really interesting time challenge um, because people are starting to lose a lot of faith in it. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on it pretty closely here, but I know that the floor on cool cats has been nothing short of decimated, not to say that many other projects have had much better luck. Um, you know, we've seen all of the blue chips take hits recently. We've seen Moonbirds officially move down below 10 ETH floor. Um, we've seen doodles get hit really, really hard. And I think they're around seven ETH or 7.5 right now. But why don't we talk about them for a minute? Because Speaking of projects that just have kind of, I, I don't want to say slow rugged because that, that's, that's FUD. That's not the right way to look at it. But they just haven't been active lately is actually Doodles. Um, so why haven't they tweeted since July? Um, it's really, really strange, right? Because we had big announcements out of them at NFT NYC like the very month before. So what's going on with this? I think it's really funny in the market how people are freaking out about it. Um, but I think, honestly, they're just being super calculated. Do you think that this is a, a reasonable thing to think right now? Or would you be more on the pissed off side of things if you hadn't seen this type of activity? Uh, I'd be really upset and not feeling great. Like, yeah, you can slow down activity. Like, yeah, maybe you're not tweeting every day or every week. But like, radio silence? Man, that's not... That's not a good look. Even if they are being calculated, you can you can send a tweet once every two weeks, once a month, something to tease anything. But just to ghost that that's that's fishy. Yeah, I think fishy is the right way to say it. Um, but God, this happened like three days ago, and I'm I'm trying to like backtrack to it so that I can give you the read on it because it's pretty priceless. Um, friend of the show. We had him on a little while back. His name's Spotty Wi-Fi. Spotty Wi-Fi is one of the OG CryptoPunk rappers. And because he is a doodle holder himself, he decided to go out and troll a little bit. So he actually created a doodles account that mirrored the, like the actual doodles account that hadn't been tweeting. But instead of using an E in the name, he actually put in a C. And he started tweeting as if he was Doodles, acknowledging the fact that like they haven't been tweeting in forever. So he, um, the first set of tweets that he he put out were "Keep your criticism to yourself. If you think you're smarter than us, you're probably overexposed and should sell." You weren't complaining when you were stuffing your face with free noodles we provided at South by Southwest, and the gem of it all. If you never made $40 million, you wouldn't understand. So, (laughs) like, it it just makes me laugh so hard, dude, because he's actually using this opportunity to point out that, like, number one, these massive uh, Web3 companies that are trying to make something of themselves in this space and try to bridge the cultural zeitgeist they're not going to respond to all the fudders and all the people that are really, really concerned that there hasn't been much Twitter activity. 
And Twitter activity does not make the project necessarily. So this is um, a funny kind of like dialogue on what it means to be a holder right now in doodles, and like what the thoughts are is like, you know, is this rug? Is it not? But what makes me um, especially bullish is it's very clear that Spotty is not giving up, right? It's not like he's telling people like it's time to be done with doodles. He's showing them that by doing this type of stuff and having the fun of for themselves, like it, this community is still very much alive. Um, he did take the opportunity to link directly to a uh, merch page where he's he's merchandising his his doodles, though. Um, but yeah, it's 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 pretty damn funny. This guy is like he, he's a stone cold killer. I love Spotty. Um, but yeah, it's um it's interesting to see what's been going on with doodles. But let's jump into the last story for this week and uh, move our move our week forward. So came out across the last week that earlier this year, actor Jim Carrey dropped an NFT collection under the pseudonym Stringbean. There's a number of different um, specific NFT art pieces that were meant to be um, almost a conversation about some of the prior characters that he had played um, without directly giving away that it was him. But now that the word is out, apparently this is not going to be the last experiment in Web3 and in NFTs that Jim Carrey plans on conducting. Do you think that we're going to start to find out that more and more celebrities and more of these A-list influence, influential people in our culture are going to be revealed as some of the early artists in NFTs like String Bean himself, Jim Carrey? I don't think a ton, but I think we're going to see some. And what I think is really cool about the Jim Carrey. I mean, it, he always plays like a character, right? Like, all right, character, character, like one of his uh, latest movies he was in was like Sonic and Sonic 2. And like, he's spot on for Eggman, right? And the fact that you have art pieces that kind of embody uh, the kind of characters that he both portrays and tries to create, um, it, it, it made sense. And also like wanting to see your, your potential art or your vision of something Without you're just if you already have this really strong name and brand, can it live and breathe on its own without the brand just being thrown behind it? I think it's a really good use case just to show like, hey, how can my creative do this? And then if it does well on its own, then if in the future I decide like, oh, by the way, like this is my stuff, then boom, you know, that's when you potentially can see things shoot up as well. So I think it's a interesting case study on how some other people like Jim Carrey could could go and do something like this. I hope that it's the case. Look, I, I know I'm a little bit biased here, but I really do hope that we start to find out that more of these anonymous creators in Web3 right now have actually been doing so because they don't want necessarily to dive headlong into it and make a bunch of money right off the bat. They want to return to the origins of their own creative process, right? I think that's ultimately why Jim Carrey did what he did. Um, but you're right. Like he's, he's one of the very big iconic actors of both your and my life. Um, if you look back, I mean, again, he's been in a ton of major motion pictures, some of the best comedies of all time. Um, and to see that he himself is taking an interest and he's not a young man by any stretch of the imagination. If he at his age can be doing this, it's a question of like, who else is doing it secretly? And it leaves a lot to be um, discovered. So I'm personally really excited about it. I'm bullish on it. 
and I look forward to seeing what he puts out next. For our last story this week, we're just, we just want to give an honorable mention in celebration of um, OnChain Monkey's first anniversary. They just passed their, um, their one-year anniversary mark on September 11th. So big congratulations to the project. Um, they had a big event last week. I was lucky enough to MC that event. Um, it was a big mega space over on Twitter that you can go and play back the recording of. Um, but we are going to leave it there for this week. Um, honest to God, man, I think they were just starting to see more and more really great news come into the space. And it's only like anyone's best guess what the next piece of really interesting news is going to be. Um, I think the Norway piece probably takes it on the day for me, but I'm very, very bullish on some of those NFT stories, especially what we're starting to see out of like projects like cool cats. So give me your take real quick of the headlines. What was the top for you today? Man, it's ETH 2.0. I mean, it's, it, there's going to be... Look in your local city. If you're listening to this right now, I bet there's some sort of merge party happening near you. I was I was surprised. I was looking... Uh, here I am in Austin, and I saw like four or five different ones going on. So uh, if you want to be around some other people in Web3, go to like Meetup or even just Eventbrite or something and just search for like ETH 2.0 party. And I bet there's a place that you can go and celebrate with someone or a group of people in your local city. I think you'd be shocked at how many people around the world are going to be talking about the merge once it actually occurs. Because you even got projects like Google, not projects, Jesus. Yeah, Google. Google's just some like little project, you know, whatever. No, like okay, big massive, massive companies like Google have added into the search results an actual countdown timer until the merge. It's it's really interesting, dude. I, I think that it's going to be one of those events that just kind of rocks the world over and we aren't going to really understand the significance of it for probably months. Um, but again, I'm ever the optimist. Richard, tell me a little bit about our guest on the show this week in our most recent podcast interview. Yep. So we had um, a really awesome guest who came and talked about film.io. Um, one of the cool things that I like about what they're doing is they're allowing uh, people to come in and be able to vote uh, on different projects that are being funded in ways that they can you know, be improving upon uh, different projects within like the the film's career. So um, it was a really fun one. Um, I was able to speak with Avalina Khalid on it and uh, she's doing a really good job of trying to help democratize Hollywood entertainment. So uh, go give it a listen and hope you enjoy. Awesome. Well, look to you at home. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us for this week's Aftershock. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you write a review for the show over on your favorite podcast platform or leave a comment for us on this video on YouTube. We'd love to get your feedback. And again, we hope that you will like the video, subscribe, and join us for another edition of the Aftershock next Wednesday. But until then, folks, final reminders for you. We've got a great, great conference coming up in Austin, Texas. It's called AGME, otherwise known as Austin's going to make it. That is on October 28th. We'll make sure that you can find our event bright for that event below. And we also have um, our Twitter spaces tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern time only on Twitter, where we host Non-Fungible Thursdays. Any final announcements or words from you, Rich? Stay cryptocurrent. Stay cryptocurrent, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. 
All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other CryptoCurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. 